Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. And here we go. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Working Class Fishing. I'm your host, John Morris. Brian's uh, taking the evening off, spending some time with his family as he should. And this episode is brought to you by CD Fishing USA, Sheer Cure Naughty Tackle, Anadromous Fly Company, 317 Flies, Angry Rooster, Lid Rig, and Maxon Inflatables. Go check them out. Uh, they've got a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipe, especially Lid Rig. Scott's got some new stuff brewing up right now. But I have the pleasure of speaking to a dude that, uh, I don't know much about, but I know enough about to think a lot of him, and that is Mr. Alex Lafkus. Alex, David, thanks for coming on. Hey, appreciate it, man. No problem. Yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, so, Alex, I just, I really do want to thank you for coming on, and um, for people that don't know you, um, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? No, no problem. Um, no, thanks for having me. I don't really do a ton of this sort of stuff. Uh, so it's a little different, but I don't mind it. It's always, it's pretty easy and pretty fun usually. So it'll be good. Um, I've started, you know, I, I got into the fly fishing thing. I'm 44 now and I started doing it at 15. So it's been a bit. And when I was, mm, oh, like, yeah, 15, 16, 17, I was, working in a fly shop as I was a kid in Northern Michigan in the summers. And it just kind of grew from there. Um, you know, I was miserable growing up and it was kind of like the one thing that brought me a little bit of peace. So I kind of got into it young and I never really strayed far from it. Um, went to Montana for a few years and then started guiding when I was 21 in Michigan. Um, did that for a few years. Um, and kind of bounced around, finished off college, tried getting a job, and it took a handful of years before I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> I make no money and I'm miserable. I'm like, I got to get out of this. But it was also actually about that time. So I was guiding um, in Michigan a little then, and that progressively grew. Um, I was doing mortgage loans for a clip, and that was right in like 2008, 2009 when it was terrible course when I started doing it but that's also when I got into I ended up going down to Arkansas and I kind of saw the potential down there um and that really made me reevaluate guiding because guiding in Michigan's a grind like if you're going to make it happen you basically have even if you do the steelhead salmon stuff you've got you know little bit of March, April, May, June, July and August is questionable for trout unless you're in a one of two spots or you work for a big outfit and just do the tourist thing. September gets back into salmon, October, fall steelhead. You know, it's a grind. And then you've got all winter where you're not making any money. Um, that got old. I never did the steelhead salmon thing. So I was just doing the trout thing. So my window all of a sudden became basically yeah, a little bit of April, a couple days in March, May, June, July, August, September, and October. And then once the brown started spawning, it was kind of done. 
so it was a grind and I didn't like it you know when you're doing 150 or so in that short window it's it's a grind um and that was tough when I started seeing the potential of Arkansas that's when I was like you know and that was like 2009 so it was like that kind of gave me a little bit more perspective on what I could do um you know back it would have been my early 20s is when I I worked for Rusty over at Gates Lodge and I was going to college over in Traverse City and that's when I got to meet Gallup and Russ and like started fishing with them a little bit and just kind of started doing a little bit more so it just kind of grew from there um and it's been a blast and the more I you know it's kind of all I do between I mean it's just fishing I've kind of gotten more into the lake stuff, fishing more conventional gear, doing this, and that's a lot on my own time. Um, but still, still enjoy guiding for trout. The trout fishing thing has changed a lot in the last, <clears throat> you know, I'd say 10 years, just gotten busier, more and more people around. And that really has made me have to kind of evaluate how to go forward. Um, and that's why I bought a lake boat and I've started doing that. I've kind of cut out some of the busier times of year in Michigan when everybody's on the river, like June, which is our big hatch seasons, like just not doing it, man, you know, just kind of had to cut it out and kind of transform what I'm doing. And, and it's been neat and it's actually kept it fresh for me, keeps it interesting, gives me something to do. Um, so that's been a lot of fun and every year is different, you know, like I'm learning some of the smallmouth fisheries up here and I do a lot of musky fishing up here, do a little bit of walleye stuff, you know, so it's, it's nice to just be able to vary everything up. And that's kind of where I've been at lately. I spend all my time musky fishing when I can. Cause nice. <laughs> get a little jaded and you're like, yeah, I think that's all I want to do, but um, <laughs> still enjoy it. Do a lot of streamer trips over the course of the year, handful of dry fly things and whatever. So rusty was like so Russ described him as like the gallop of the dry world yeah so he was rusty was really interesting he um so his dad was a band teacher in over Ascoda, and another band teacher right close to there if you're familiar with any of john gearock's writing you'll know the name his good friend was ak bass oh and AK, okay yeah, so so Rusty's dad and AK used to always drive over to the Asable and dry fly fish. Well, eventually, Rusty's dad was like, I'm done doing this band thing, and he bought this little lodge on the river. So he moved the kids over to Grayling, and they opened this fly shop, and then Cal died young. Cal died at, I think he it was in his early 50s. He had, I think it was a heart attack or something, killed him pretty young. And then Rusty and his mom kind of ran that fly shop. So Rusty had been doing it a long time. And he tied a lot of dries. Like he, he was telling me stories of when he was a kid, like he'd tie a thousand dozen dry flies a winter to still fill the fly shop bins because you couldn't just get them, you know. Um, Rusty really took me under his wing when I was young. There weren't many kids getting into it. And me and I had a couple other buddies and he started seeing us all the time and we were always up there. So he provided us a few opportunities to work for him, tie for him, do some stuff. He was really good to young kids getting into it. Um, and I like stayed at his house, lived with him and his and his and his wife at the time, because his stepkids were gone during the summer. So I stayed there, worked the fly shop, kind of bounced around, and that's kind of how I started getting into it. He never wanted me to guide. He was like, "No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that." But 
you know, that's just where some of us end up. You know, he spent too many years doing it. But guiding has changed a ton since then. You know, like that lodge is still in operation. It's owned by my good friend, Josh Greenberg. And, uh, you know, when I started there, there was one guy doing like 120, 130 trips. And there was like three or four guys that were retired that were doing like 70 or 80 a year. Well, now they've got five guides, all I think doing over 140, 150. Max guys are getting closer to 200. You know, so like the whole business of it has changed now you can actually make a living doing it and you can you can do all right um a lot of people have to go the fly shop route and work through somebody who provides those trips for them and that's fine they're there you know i've been fortunate to be able to break out and branch out and do some other stuff on my own but uh so it's changed a lot and, and rusty was bit i mean yeah, we did a lot of dry fly fishing. That's what we did forever. And then I, I like to throw streamers too, but I really didn't learn streamer fishing. And we fished out of a different boat than a drift boat. So I didn't really learn the streamer fishing drift boat thing until I started fishing with Russ. And Russ and I, of course, hit it off right away and whatever. We were crazy. <laughs> it was hilarious. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, that was kind of my formal beginning. Like I tied production dry flies through a lot of winters, through some college years, you know, like da, 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 da. whenever you need money, it's like, all right, I need to send you home with a thousand pack of hooks and you'd see them in 30 days with your flies tied up and you get another thousand pack of hooks and you just kind of keep, yeah, that's the grind. <laughs> I still got saddles sitting here from God knows how long ago, you know, like Hoffman premium saddles that were like $55, you know, like <laughs> I got tons of that stuff. I'll never go through it all, but it's good. Yeah. And he was, he was the one who really got me into it. My folks didn't really fish or anything. So it was kind of him. And then I, you know, you just get to meet people and, and it's just kind of the route you go. Dude, that's so sick though. And, and you're talking about the Kaufman premium capes, dude. I've got some bucktail from an estate sale uh, in Pennsylvania. And these are like some of the best tails I've ever seen in my entire life. Like the most beautiful colors. They're not stiff as shit. They're no, no. Super good. Like, you just be able to get them. Bucktail's one of those is one of those products that's like, you know, those used to be like, oh, you just go into a fly shop and pick out the good ones, you know. And now it's like everybody's done that. It's so hard to find good bucktails at this point. So it's just like, you know, and I got, I got enough right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things like. Some of those natural materials are are the hard ones that like the more people that get tying big flies or this, that, the other thing, the more you're like, geez, I need to find a synthetic that'll do this. You know, and the synthetics just aren't the same. You know, I, I like bucktail on the big stuff and whatever. Doesn't it's not real heavy, you're tight, sparse, you can cover a lot of you can get a lot of profile out of it without having to, you know, to bulk up your fly and weight them down so they're still castable. Yeah. So yeah. that was that was something that took me a long time to understand like yeah. gen genuinely understand because you know i was telling like I, I do use some synthetics from like um tony and some of those guys for like some big uh like perch doubles and stuff like that and uh but it took me forever to realize that like hey i can't make it as dense <laughs> as nope. this i, I just can't make this dense no nope. no nope. and it's and that's the thing like the more you fish and it's and i would say like the more you guide to you start realizing people's limitations 
And the harder you make a fly to fish, the less it gets fished effectively and therefore the less fish you catch, you know? So like, you know, I kind of tie flies for a purpose and to fish a certain way. I'm not as into like rust ties, beautiful flies and, and they're effective and they fish well, you know, he's, he does pretty good. I spend so much less time tying them. I just slap the shit on the hook and I'm like, yep, that's it. You know, <laughs> it's fine. And, and there's some things I, I, it's, it's damn near impossible for me to go into a fly shop and be like, yep, that'll work. That'll work. You know, dries are a little different. Of course I tie mine differently, but usually they just don't have enough ackle or enough something to float it. When I look at streamers, so many of them are tied on such small hooks and, you know, or weighted too much or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm fighting with. Usually, you know, I'm usually tying mine on, on finer wire hooks with a big gap and, you know, like, that's what I need. Cause I know guys aren't going to, I have so few guys that are going to get good hooks. That's on them and trout are, are different, you know, like smallmouth pike muskies, they grab something and they hold it, you know, like trout nip and injure and swipe. So like, you've got to have some light wire fine thing that'll get them right on that first impact. It's just the, the nature of how they feed. Um, and you go too heavy of a gauge and you just, you miss. So man, and I went through years of failure and watching it you know it's not like you just make this up it's like you see it and you're like what's wrong and then all of a sudden you're like oh man that one really gets them and it's a lot of it's the hook let let you take a drink here <laughs> you're fine keep firing dude oh i'm good we're good dude so the whole white river thing so you, you, you hear these, you know, kind of echoes and murmurs that come from Dali and, yeah. you know, there's all this like little bits and pieces of recorded history, right, of, of yeah. Alex Lafkus, right? But I've never been able to sit down and piece it all together. So how did the White River thing happen? So I always had it. There was a client that used to come up to Grayland who lived in Mountain Home, Arkansas. And he always was like, oh, y'all ought to come on down. Y'all ought to come on down. Da, 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 da. And we're like, I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I was always going to Florida in the winter because my mom and stepdad had a place down there. And they sold that one year. And I was like, there is no way I'm making it through a winter up here. There is absolutely no way I can survive another winter in Michigan without leaving for a little bit. So I called, you know, Dr. Turkers was his name, John, and he's still down there. We still see each other every year. Um, and so I called him and was like, dude, he's like, come on down, come on down. Love to have you. We've got a place for you and everything. So like me and two buddies who, you know, one of them guided for a brief point. One of them worked. He was a corrections officer. And I'm like, let's go, man. So we like went down there for like four days or something or five days. <clears throat> and uh it was kind of the perfect storm because it was really high water and so we went over to oh some some other guys from michigan had been down there and they're like oh go see this guy or whatever and we're like yeah whatever and we popped in there and oh you can't go to the white it's too high too dirty you know too high too much water and he's like norfolk norfolk so we went and fished norfolk for a few days and kind of like yeah you know norfolk's short it's like seven or nine miles, something like that. Like three. 
three and a half. So it's like, you know, in a drift boat at two units, you're out of there in three to four hours. So we were running it a couple times a day, whatever. Got bored pretty quick. Got some nice fish. Got one big one. Um, it was like 26. And it was like, oh, yeah. And then, so then we ran over to what is currently Dallas. And it was Mountain River Fly Shop. And Chad Johnson was working in there. He was just kind of getting guiding. And he was the guy who owned it, owned a boat company. And they were, you know, they were just kind of making it work. And uh, Chad was like, I don't know, man, this is when you want to go to the light. Like it's high, it, all the fish should be pushed to the banks, you know, da, 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 da. So we went out there and we're like, all right. And we just started grinding it. You know, just go to the bank, start ripping, you know, and those fish were ignorant man they were like it i mean i could i was like oh my god there are so many and they are dumb because like we had a handful of like eight inch flies that guy from the east coast mark sadati had tied big bait fish sadati slammers and like i mean they got shredded and his were tied with like a wire connection and like that wire get bent they'd never swim right again so we're like trying to figure it out, throwing a bunch of marabou on three hooks, you know, making things huge, eight, nine, whatever, how big, however big we could get them as easily as we could get them there. And they would kill your shoulder, but the fish ate them. Um, and so <clears throat> we ended up spending like three days on the white and caught the crap out of them. And one of the, I remember like, we'd put it at Wildcat and rode across and I was fishing like some Powell rod or something. I blew it up on a fish. And I like called Dally's. I'm like, hey, dude, any of you guys got an eight weight I can borrow? You know, I'm like, I just blew up a rod. Da, 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 da. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you? And uh, and it was like, it was like a 22, 23 incher. It was like, it wasn't even that big of a fish. It was dinged up rod, something shit blank, whatever it was. So like Chad met us on one of the docks, loaned us some Scott or something. And, you know, we proceeded to fish, but, you know, we're talking to him and stuff. And we'd go into the fly shop and talk to him a little and da, 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 da. da and I got to know Chad that way. Um, the, and we had we had good fishing that first handful of days and like I kind of saw the potential was like I kind of got talking to Chad and I'm like you know and you got to understand like back then there were not many guys like I know that um Jamie Roush was up there I never saw him, but Jamie been guiding down there forever and I'm like I'm not sure if Brock Dixon had started guiding yet or it was right around when he did start and Daly might have been doing a little but like the guides that were guiding were like Clint Wilkinson um oh geez I'm forget I can picture him right now um there were some older guys I think Christopher Bolden was over there then I wasn't seeing him you know guys really didn't fish it in the winter it, back then it was like it was either on it was like on and off so it was like a lot of no flows like this is pre-minimum flow so it was like basically a drift fishing river you know like where i like people were there were no oars on jet boats everybody's running props and they're drifting with the flows and like when they turn it off those guys would just pull over and be like cast right there there's the fish you know like it wasn't much you know it's definitely changed um so, but there were a handful of fly guys down there, no doubt about it, but it is, you know, it's blown up in the last handful of years. And that's when I saw how empty it was, 
I, I just kind of got a feeling I'm like, man, there's nobody fishing down here. There's a lot of potential. Um, I'd see Don Craner out there. He was doing bait trips and uh, hustling trips on his own back then. And like, I got to get to know him pretty good because he was about the only one I was seeing on the river on a regular basis. But like, we were going up and down the river, you'd see like three bait fishermen a day and no fly fishermen. <clears throat> so after that little short stay, I like kind of got talking to Chad. And I'm like, dude, I'm coming down for a while next winter. So I went down for a month, like the next winter and kind of started getting my feet under me a little bit more, seeing what it had, learning it better. And then like right near the end of my stay there, they shut the dam off. I'd never seen it off before. And I was like, oh, oh boy, this is, this is different. And it's like, <laughs> now, okay, now you want to guide this? Well, you better start thinking, man. And so the next year I had some trips, just did a few, you know, I don't know, 10, 12, whatever. I was just trying to make some money and make myself not lose money down there. Um, but that's also when that dam was getting shut off and I was trying to learn it. So I was doing, and this was back then when like, we just had drift boats. And uh, so that that's when I kind of started night fishing it and trying to put together another program and this, that, the other thing. And I found some stuff, low water nymph and stuff could be fun, you know, getting in the pockets and nymph and browns or doing this, that, the other thing, um, doing the night fishing thing. Cause I was trying to sell it as a trophy hunt. So you can't, yeah. you got to have an option when they turn the dam off. So we were doing night fishing. We got plenty of big fish doing it. Um, and then I just kind of started building it and then had to deal with the drift boat and the up and down flows for a while. And that was really tough. And then a handful of years ago, I finally got burned enough just being in that drift boat when everybody was in jet boats that it was like, okay, going to have to find a jet boat to use. And now I just rent one every winter. Like I don't own one. I'm, I actually, I don't really like jet boats, but you got to have one down there. Um, so now it's like, and, and after the years, man, I, we did group trips with like, some really good local guides down there. Like I was working with Chad and Brock and Jason Lloyd a bunch. Um, <clears throat> now I work a ton with like, with Jason, Brad Smith, um, use Michael Saladin a little bit this year. He's a good kid. But I learned a ton from Brock and Chad and Jay when I started. Oh, Dally works with us some. You know, and I just learned a lot from those guys. And from that, I'd been able, I've been able to build on what I kind of started learning. And now it's given me more options. And now I, I've spent enough time fishing it in low water out of a drift boat, you know, cause like if you got streamer fish, when you get low water, you learn how to fish. You know, you don't just say, oh, well, we'll just quit and give up and do something different. Like you try things and eventually you build it together to where you're like, I can make this work. I can make that work. I can make this work, you know? So now I got enough options where I can just be like, I basically just streamer fish, you know, like, and I can pretty much figure out a way to do it no matter what the dam's doing, no matter what's going on. And uh, so that's been a nice revelation for me because man, I hate night fishing. <laughs> I just, I did it, you know, that I guided it a lot, guided a ton doing dry flies at night in Michigan, did a bunch of the mouth stuff down, you know, like, it's not fun for me. I don't, you know, I like the visually, I like seeing it. I like being out there in the daylight, seeing what's happening, you know, like it's a little bit more visually appealing to me. 
you know, the excitement of night fishing is turning on the flashlight and be like, oh yeah, it's a big one. You know, that's all it is. <laughs> Nothing, absolutely zero for me. Um, so I've been able to do it, you know, like the last couple of years, you know, I had a few really tough years streamer fishing. The last few years have been, I thought last year was a better year than I'd seen in a while. And then this past winter was even better. And I'm like, yeah, there's, it's fine. It's fine. And we can make it, make it go out of all of it. So it's been, but it's been a big change. And that's what's enabled me to be able to guide <clears throat> kind of the way I want, where it's, you know, I do a ton of streamer trips down there in the winter. Basically, I go down there and do, you know, I'm trying to cut back on time. Down there. You know, like that's where it's at. Yeah. Where it's like, I can do pretty much 10 weeks, five days a week. I try to take a couple days off or at least a weekend every other weekend off. And uh, I can go down there and do 45 to 50 trips in nine to 10 weeks. And that's about it. I could probably do more, but that, that seems to be about enough time. I get tired and, you know, I'm in my mid forties now. It's not as fun <laughs> as it was in my mid thirties. Um, I'm married, come home, see my wife, getting some good fishing here in March. And then usually this time of year is not as good here. So, you know, whatever. So, I guess to ask a, more about your kind of musky endeavors, is there a closed season in Michigan for no. musky? Okay. No, harvest them from uh, March 15th till like June 1st, I think. But it's always open for catch and release. So, okay. whatever. I usually get out, you know, I actually, I we're just losing ice now. Probably lost it the last few days. A couple lakes have been open, but I, I've been waiting. I ordered a new boat and I pick it up tomorrow. So we will be out there very, very soon. Um, no, and I, I like the musky thing. I fish a ton of conventional for that. I don't even mess with fly rods for them. Um, I probably could now. You know, the first few years I tried, but I didn't, I wasn't dialed in enough on them to be yeah. able to get them. So I've been doing the gear thing a lot. Um, but now I'm comfortable enough where like, I know where enough of them are. I know, and we don't have a ton of fish up here. This is not like Wisconsin, Minnesota, like I'm fishing lakes. They've never stocked. There's very few of them. They grow to giant sizes, you know, like yeah. it's hard. It, this is a very difficult spot. Once you learn it here, you can do good. A lot of places. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been fun. I feel comfortable now. There's a few times a year I could go get them on flies if I wanted, but you know, and I used to do the fly rod thing for smallmouth a ton. And you know, what you find out is, look, you can't drive the boat and fish at the same time. No. You know, like you're not fishing big 12 foot flats. I'm fishing like weed edge, flat, drop off, you know, like where it's really important to keep the boat in precise locations. So what I've always found is whenever I go out there with the fly fishermen, one person's driving, one person's casting. Usually I go by myself. So I just yeah. grab the gear rods and do that. That being said, when I was throwing flies with them, we caught some damn big smallmouth throwing big streamers, you know, in that mid to upper 40 degree water temp. Um, and I've got some clients coming this year, which will be fine. I know where the fish are. You just got to, you really, when you're doing a fly, when you're fly fishing out of a motorboat, like pace is so important. If you get your speed off, you have so much slack, you never hook fish, you know? So it's like, if it's windy and you want wind, cause they don't bite good when it's not windy, like you kind of have to sit there with your remote or your foot pedal and be like, 
hear the wind coming, speed it up a little bit, you know, like always kind of minor adjustments. So you're keeping the tension all the time. You can't go, you got to be moving a mile an hour or less in your boat to hook fish on a flat. You know, you start getting in that one, five to two, like you never get tight to fish. So it's, it's difficult. And I put three fly lines through my trolling motor, trying to do it by myself, driving the boat, casting, and it's just like, forget it. I'm done. <laughs> I do enjoy it. I just never, I never have anybody to go yeah. with it. So it's just what it is. So are, you like, <clears throat> so are you like uh, trolling suckers or like no, throwing bulldogs and suics and stuff? Yep. Yep. I like casting. Um, I troll, I don't do my, I don't do any live bait fishing. I do like trolling, but I found my way myself getting away from it more. Um, biggest fish I've ever caught was trolling, but we've caught some really big fish casting too. You know, we had, I had five in the boat over 50 inches last year casting. So it's like, oh. and this one was like 53 and a half. So it's like, <laughs> You know, we're getting them big ones cast in. So whatever. It's fun. It's just something that I, you know, it's the hardest thing we've got to fish for here. Yeah. Might as well do that. You know, <laughs> just, you just kind of work your way into it. You know, like, I like doing the bass thing pre-spawn. And then, you know, once you get into mid-June and stuff, like, you can sense the musky days and the bass days and you just pick your poison. I have some good bass fishing on flies in the summer, too. Like, I go out and fish our big deep water lakes that... You know, if it's really hot, they get up to maybe 75 degrees. So, like, I'm, I can always pull fish off some shallower grass edges and stuff, throwing big, you know, like, this just happens to be sitting out. But, like, I'm just throwing big chartreuse and white stuff, eight inches, and they come flying out of the weed beds to kill it. And you don't get the number, obviously. You know, you go up and down a bank throwing a spinnerbait, you're going to burn through them fish a lot quicker. You take a fly rod, it takes a long time to work a spot. Yeah. So, numbers are <laughs> But that being said, every bass is so much more rewarding that you catch on a fly rod than 10 on a bait caster. You know, it's just, you see the bite, you hit them, you get a good bite out of them. You're running a nine weight and they're pulling hard. They're four pounders, four and a half, you know, like you do get so much more out of your fish. Um, and there's even some top water stuff mid June where you just throw out your Google bug, anything that floats doesn't matter. It hits the water. You let it sit there. And if one doesn't swim over and eat it, you just wiggle your line. And if one doesn't swim over to eat it, you pull it in and cast it over there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't want to, if you start popping it, they'll never eat it. But if you just let it sit and it hits the water, they'll come from so far away and just boom. Um, the biggest issue I have with that is with clients is the hook sets. Because so many of those fish, it's not, it's very similar to what they do in the White River. Those fish come in and eat it and usually come through the fly. You know, they'll come up and eat it and swim towards you off top water with the streamer. They eat it and keep coasting at you. And if you don't give it two or three big, long strips, like, I mean, five foot of line, roll your shoulder back and then go to your rod. You don't get them, you know? So I get this, I get the two foot hook set, jerk the rod. And it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Those fish are coming at you. <clears throat> that's the biggest issue I see. It's the same issue I see in Arkansas on the white. A lot of them fish come at you so much that if you're not strip, 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 and plus on the white, you're usually casting and you have a long distance and you have a big belly in your line. So there you have to get through the belly 
before you get enough tension to actually hook the fish. And it seems like people want to give it a strip and a pull and well, it doesn't work on a 70 foot cast. You know, there's too much belly working into that line. You've got to strip through that belly till that hook actually penetrates. Then you can go to start fighting them on the rock. But every bite's different. Every cast is different. You know, like that's where it gets, yeah, sometimes they eat it inside of the boat. It's just the ankle, you know, but if they're way out there and you got a huge belly, it's like 15 feet of line on the deck before the rod moves. So, but that, I mean, that's what makes it fun for me is it's hard. Like I said, I've really struggled getting clients on fish on the lakes because of that hook set stuff. Like, yeah, they'll get a few and they can go catch small ones, but why would you, you know, why would you fish for small ones when you catch fish? <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. So I fished, uh, I fished the Norfolk for the first time, like two weekends ago. Oh, did you? Do you have big water on it? Dude, yeah, it was pretty high. Yeah. Um, dude, I was throwing like black and orange, like just some monstrosities, just trying to get it to move some water. And because yeah. it, it was a little, it was a little blown out with all the water that we had. So I was really oh, yeah. hoping you would have got it. That Norfolk gets dirty. There's like a, they put in some thing up on the hill there. And every time it rains, that comes in dirtier than hell. Yep. Dude, it was just, uh, I couldn't get a streamer eat at all. And uh, I know that's just like probably a lack of knowledge, but I was I was working my ass off and just getting so frustrated because we didn't have a boat or anything. You know, we're just beating the bank as well as we could. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And all those fish are probably right at your feet. Yeah. You know, you probably had better going upstream with a weighted fly, ripping it back to you, you know, fishing, <laughs> right? Like, because that Norfolk, Man, that thing comes down that hill fast. So it's like that pinches and gets really fast. And like, you know, the other thing is like, if you were to go below Ackerman, there's a couple of points that stick out that make some big back eddies on that bank there. That's, I mean, they're going to get jammed right up in there. Now, that being said, man, I used to go over to Norfolk a lot. And I, I kind of quit going over there as much as I used to. I just, I haven't been able to get the brown trout bite over there. But I'm not there enough to really say what's going on. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> and, like, when I talk to Craner, like, you know, Donald knows those rivers real well. He's a bait fisherman, you know. But he's like, it. even when Norfolk was in its prime, you went to the white to get the bigger one. Like, you know, like, yeah, some really, really big fish have come out of Norfolk, but the number of like 25 to 28 inch fish in the white blows away what it is over there. It's just, you know, it's a bigger river. It's the, they yeah. can always find slow water in the white too. You know, that Norfolk pinches up and gets tight and it is screaming through there. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I kind of stay over on the white, but and that's me. Yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna fish the white some with my buddies this next year. Cause yeah. we went up there for the sow bug show. Oh yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was cool yeah. seeing all those people and meeting a lot of folks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that uh you know the white the white's kind of been it I've seen it change a lot in the last 10 to 12 whatever years like and not just 
the amount of people fishing it, like where I'm finding fish, man, there's a lot of fish in that upper end. And there used to be a lot of fish down river and I'm not seeing them down there like I used to. Um, there's a lot of fish in the white though, especially if from like the dam. Well, I don't know, down to white hole or Stetsons or something like, I, I don't even know. There are so many fish up there. It's just crazy. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. Um, the white opens up a little bit more. You know, if you don't have a boat, you're always going to be in that situation where it's like, the nice thing about the white is even if it's high, there's spots to go, you know, because you've got yards and lawns and some stuff like that. And Norfolk, you don't have much. You no, know, you, really have, you don't have shit there. <laughs> it's coming down that hill and all those banks are steep and you're just kind of doomed, you know. Yeah. The white, you get those lawns you can fish off of and those fish go into that slow water, you know, so there's there's stuff to do there. Yeah, we were staying at like Jeans. Um, sure. sure. Yeah. yeah, we were staying down there and we were, you know, fishing off those docks and then we went up to the dam when they uh when they closed the the gates down and we went up there yep. we fished for a little bit and that was uh that was the only place we caught any fish yep. was up there the dam yeah that ackerman access might not have been bad but it, you know like it's it's just hard man it's that stuff is hard without a boat <laughs> just because you don't know like I've got enough of a feeling on it now that like, I can be like, okay, yeah, we could go here and fish. We could go here and fish, but it's, it's hard. Cause you just don't know what the dam's going to give you. You know, you never do. That thing's just a, you know, it's a guess. You don't know what it's going to do, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's neat. And, and like I, in that high water, like I'd have been running something weighted and big, you know, like, that's one thing when that water's high or pushing a lot of water down there, man, it seems like big flies are what gets them to move. Just, or you go to like a shad thing and drift it, you know, but when I'm pulling streamers and I got, you know, that six, 7,000 over on Norfolk, which is like two units plus, um, or on the white, when you get over like 16,000 CFS, which is like, you know, five units or so. It seems like they give them a target, give them something to move for, you know, that, that, you know, you start getting into that lower medium flows, like, man, eh, a lot of time, five, four inch stuff works a little better, but like that, you get 16, 18,000 on that white five, six, seven generators. You got to give them something, give them a reason to move. You know, that's really what I've seen. And I, I like weight because I don't know that I'm necessarily fishing deeper a lot of times than you can with an unweighted fly sometimes. What it does do is if the fish is contemplating it, it tips down to go at them, you know? And I think if they're not sure if they're going to come up on something or not, and it falls towards them, they want to come up to it. You know, I think that kind of gives them a little bit more of a, oh yeah, there's food. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Versus, yeah, I oh, I got to bust up through all that current to try to grab that thing. I don't know. That's kind of what I see, but it's it's really in that bigger water you do see it. The warmer the water gets, you know, high cold water, you got to sink it as deep as you can. If it's high and warmer, those fish have a tendency to push shallow quick. Metabolism's cranked a little bit more, so they get up on the edges. Now, that doesn't mean 
they're all shallow or every spot they are shallow isn't fast and you don't need some weight you know like the white teaches you to fish about five different rivers you know i mean it's because you got you'll go through some areas that are flat slower pace with grass beds well there you might want a different weight or a different line than you're going to want in like wildcat shoal if you're fishing the bluff wall where it's fast and gnarly and nasty you know like you you, you I, I go down there with a lot of different fly lines and a lot of different weighted flies and like you know you kind of find your sweet spot on everything you know it's it's three to seven thousand cfs is way different than eight to twelve to thirteen which is way different than fourteen to eighteen and anything eighteen and more is different again you know not only is it different based on that flow it's different based on where you are in the river on that flow you know like a lot of those southern rivers you go through areas where it's like big long flats without much grading then you get into a little bit of grading then it flattens out again. So like anytime you see that, and you see that in those rivers in Virginia and Tennessee where it's like a little bit of gradient, long flat, little bit of gradient, long flat. So it, it's going to vary. I mean, you know, there's never one tool for the whole deal. You yeah. Know? It's, it's what I always try to tell people. I'm like, you ever see a bass fisherman go out there with one rod and one lure? You know, sure, Gussie basically won the whole thing on that Damiki rig, but <laughs> you know, for the most part, they got a swim bait and a spinner bait or a jig or a frog or, you know, like you have options. And that's where I think that it gets overlooked a lot is, is people have a tendency to, oh, I like this line. People always ask, what line do you like? And I'm like, well, I have this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one, you know? Yeah. We'll see what happens and which one we end up from. You know, if I'm going to run unweighted, yeah, usually I like some sort of something with a tight six depending on the how deep or high or shallow the water is sometimes if i'm running weighted i'd prefer a tight three or an intermediate so i can fish it slower you know like a lot of there's a you can there's should be more variables than i think a lot of people look at it like um but you know that's when you, as more you see it change and the more hours you get on it the more you realize this is different. Need to do something different. This is different. I need to do something different. You know, like I've got some of these discontinued lines that are like 15 foot type threes <clears throat> and guys hate casting them because they cast like a floating line and all these guys are used to just even sink tips. Yeah. And, but man, I'm telling you, you want to fish shallow water and pause a fly in a spot that type three, will keep it right there. And you don't have to worry about the line dragging by, you know? So it's like, yeah, it's, works good in certain situations you know so that's i've always kind of make sure i have all my bases covered when i go to any of that stuff and anybody who's going to a new river to fish a new situation like probably what you ought to look at you know like you got to consider that stuff you know i i some of my rivers in michigan here like you know two weeks ago i was fishing a 15 foot type three or a 15 foot type six depending on it then we got some rain and now i'm fishing 300 grains 30 foot 300 grains you know so it's like you know, because not only does depth increase, but pace increases as the water rises. So now you're fighting a couple of things. You know, so I think that's one thing fly fishermen do. Or they fall in love with the way a fly swims. Well, let the fish tell you what they want. You know, like I, I've been, you know, the, the river up here has been fishing really good this year, too. You know, it's obviously it's going to suck now for a while, but it had been. And 
but you got to let the river tell you what they want. You know, I went and tried to do this and that. And then I'm like, oh, I better switch. And all of a sudden I switch up a little and I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. And then I just beat them up for three, you know, like, it's like, oh, okay. On it. Now it totally changed again. But like, and the white will tell you, some of the rivers up here will tell you, you know, like if you got density of fish, they'll tell you, let them tell you, keep switching. If you think in, you know, the more you fish, the more you build that confidence of like, there's fish here. I know they're here. What are they doing? You know, sure. Some days they're not biting at all. Yep. That'll happen. But for the most part, you go out there and conditions are somewhat conducive. You can look around and be like, yeah, okay. Something should be going. Let's try this, try this, try this, try this. You know, like a white sex dungeon might've been a great call up there by the dam for you at Norfolk. Cause they've been seeing a bunch of shad. So they're all looking at white. Typically, once they close those generators off or you quit getting runoff, that water's the clearest water you've ever seen. So like a lot of times, Oliver White in that color water. And like a sex dungeon falls down into their face. So you can pop it, get it right in their home and pop it away. You know, but that's that's an experience thing too. You know, it's like you just got to be out there doing it enough and you piece it together. Yeah, we were, it's funny too. Um, because one of the guys was like, yeah, you should be throwing shad. And I was like, there's probably a shad kill coming off those generators. Yeah, and, who knows? And, there was a ton this winter. And yeah. like, those fish up by those dams, they know. I think they always. And frankly, when I see water gin clear anywhere, white's one of the first ones I tie up. You know, olive, black, white. Like, when it's gin clear, I do good on white. Oh, dude, I throw white. White is like my confidence color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, when I just had a few weeks where it was like, we got a couple fish on white, but it was all the natural tones. But we're also looking at upper 30, low 40 degree water. So there's no bait fish moving. You know, they're eating crayfish, sculpin, leeches, whatever happens to be putzing around out there, they're going to grab. So we got through that. Now, the second I hit 48 degree water, it kind of is bait fish season up here, you know, where it's like, yeah, you start running the bait fish pattern. And usually that off color, we get that, <clears throat> like we were talking about earlier off, cam off camera kind of was uh, dirty water. You know, ours gets like a tannic stain to it. And that white and that tannic color, and usually like, you can still see three, four feet down, you know, where like you can see the sand edges. You can't make everything out, but you can kind of see it. Man, sometimes white and that little off color, 48 degree, 50 degree water is just carnage. That's, that'll be our next good window up here. We got a few weeks. Uh, not good. <laughs> not good. Respawn's so calm So you've been doing, so you said you've been doing some conventional for smallies also? Yep. Yep. So right now, have you, you think it's been a kind of like a real slow kind of Ned rig finesse? No. Nope. Finesse rig? What do you, what I don't you know. Mean? First thing I get on them is rattle traps and big swim baits. Okay. You know, like it's, you start hitting 44, 45 degree water and you run in three quarter ounce rattle traps, real, real, real rip, real, real, real rip. And there he is. And then my buddy last year, who's a really good bass fish and does a ton of days, he was, we're up fishing like, four to five foot of water bouncing off stumps and all this stuff you just got to go like 
our lakes have a lot of spring fed creek stuff like that so like you have to go to those little areas that warm up the fastest um and that's where those fish will be so now my buddy last year he was out a little deeper than me and he didn't get many but man he was like dude we hooked so many six and seven pounders and i'm like what the hell he was running five eight kytex on okay yeah you know yep and i always go up shallow because like I mean, I've had 50 and 70 fish days up shallow on rattle trap. And that rattle trap bite's fun, man. You know, it's 14 pounds. It is, dude. And, just, and also, and it's all three to five pound fish. You're not getting any small ones. Only the big ones bite in that cold water. Um, I think that's why I've always struggled with the fly until you get more into the upper 40 degree water is like fish are pretty much pinned on the bottom still. <laughs> so that's where i'll start and that's usually what i look forward to hopefully i'll be out in the next couple of days we got a little cold front coming in which spring cold front suck but once the water temps start turning the other way it should be good um and then once you start getting into 50 and close to that like you can start catching them pretty good but i'll chase that 45 48 degree water around two three four different lakes five lakes and then i can go out in lake michigan and chase it too so it's like I can kind of stay in whatever water temp I want to for a while here. Um, and then they'll start spawning in spot A, and you can hit pre-spawn somewhere else and pre-spawn somewhere else. And by the time those ones are hitting the spawn, you can go to post-spawn and fish top water here or top water there. You know, so it's, we got a lot of different, I mean, if you look at Traverse City at a map, you, there's about 8 million different types of bodies of water to fish. You know, it's, so that's, that keeps it fresh. That keeps it really nice. A lot of options. Dude, um, what's the... What's the biggest swim bait you're throwing for smallies? Oh, I catch them on all sorts of stuff. Dude, there's a... You can catch them on those 68 special huds. Um, Catch them on Gancraft. Join it. Like, I got... Actually, I got... (laughs) I've been getting everything set up for my motorboat. See, I got all my rattle traps. (laughs) Oh, nice, dude. (laughs) I've been getting all my um, stuff set up for to load up my boat when i pick it up tomorrow well, yeah dude i saw you i saw you sharpen and treble hook earlier i was like that's oh, yeah. these will catch this one i haven't caught a small mouth on yet but that will nine inch glider dude that's um, sick <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't have kids man i spend a lot of money on this crap <laughs> <laughs> um the five eight kai tags you know i run those those uh finesse shads in the spring too the lunker city finesse bit yeah i think they're 10 inches i got like oh there's a nice sweet little glider this dude out of he might i forget where he's out of but that's a cool little shad we don't have shad really but doesn't matter it's big minnow and those are fun that's like throwing a big fly you know what i mean like yeah watching that thing on the surface wow cut to the side and it's like So, and we threw some of those down there. Uh, well, Jason, my buddy I guide with down there, grabbed his freaking, wouldn't bring his fly rod the one day I had a client in the boat with me. And I'm like, hey, Jay, come with us. He's like, yeah, I got my casting rod. <laughs> it, felt like a, it was such a beautiful, it was like 28 and a half inches and fat as could be on a big, I think it's a seven inch KGB chat chad. Just like that fish, and I'm like, oh no! I had a client miss that fish a couple days. Before. Oh, these are the Stormer Rashis. We catch 
trout on these two down there on the white. Dude, the Arashi is a really good bait. Uh, yeah. Oh, it is. And for the price, it's it's phenomenal. Oh, it's incredibly affordable. In affordable, you know, affordable, you know. Well, but in the grand scheme, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're not you're not paying for a mother chaser, you know. It's like oh, exactly. I have one, so I ended up buying some of those Chad Chads when I was in Arkansas, and I got like two of them. And Jay was like, "Dude, you got to sell me those before you leave." Son of a bitch. So I sold them to him. Now I have one more Chad Chad. But no, and I like, I mean, <coughs> fishing's fishing. And I like fishing big, aggressive stuff. You know, like, obviously there's days, especially this time of year, where, like, I'll take a flipping jig out because I won't be able to get them on any of that other stuff and I'll catch fish. But, you know, I like fishing aggr aggressive styles, aggressive ways. Yeah, I just got I, Absolutely, dude like we're, we're the same way like i know brian's out here but I, we're not just fly fishing we're not just conventional yeah. dude we're like it doesn't matter to us if fishing no. is fishing yeah that's right and fly rods yeah. are a great way to get them when you can get them doing it there's a time and a place for it you know like yeah the wind starts blowing and it's crappy out like meh, and you're on a lake put that thing away you know what i mean so no i'm really into whatever it, it's more about getting the bite i I do like, I got frustrated with Jay because he's a good enough fly angler where he can get a big one and trout in rivers will eat flies. You know, like you can catch them on whatever you want. Trout in river will eat flies. Yeah. So I kind of get, though that's one thing where I'm just like, yeah, no, we can get them to do that. Um, I will say, <coughs> Craner took me out one day and we fished those white marabou jigs on the white on ultralights and four pound. That was a lot. That's about as much fun as I've had trout fishing in a long time. Cause you're just snapping those things as fast as you let them fall, snap them hard, let them fall. And you're getting like 20 inch rounds left and right and fighting them on a little four pound, you know, snap jigging them. So it's like, you know, yeah. you know oh, there he is. I was like, that's kind of a fun, that's a good bite. You know, that's a fun way to fish. Not so, easy. You know, some people aren't going to catch them doing it because they can't work it right. You know, like, that's okay. It's it's kind of fun. Yeah, it sounds like twitching jigs, like uh, they fish out west. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like, it was, you know, like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, like, I snap jig for walleyes in the fall where I'm letting it hit the bottom. And, like, you just snap three sixteenths or whatever it is, quarter ounce jig head, let it fall. And the second you see your braid start piling, you know, it's pop, pop. And it's just you're hitting the bottom every time. And then whap. And uh this is just it's never hitting bottom. It's just suspended, you know. So it's it's a good bite and it's fun. You know, it's like I actually had to fight brown trout. I'm used to hooking them on 14 pound test on an eight weight. You know, I was like, oh, now I got four pound on an ultra. I'm like, hell, I gotta fight these things. Dude, I was uh <laughs> I was even throwing like silver spoons because you know everyone kept saying, like, oh shad, shad. I was like, I was like, I'm I just know I'm gonna fucking hook up on something on this spoon. You know, like I didn't get yeah. shit, dude. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It, those white marabou jigs would have worked. They they work well. And the other thing about brown trout, like <laughs> brown trout, their natural reaction, you know, like everything's a little different how they want it. You know, like and you can look at it like how steelhead 
eat a swung fly right when it's below you. And Atlantics want it when you're cast perpendicular and it's zipping across the surface. Man, Browns want dead drift. They really like to eat when the fly is dead drifted. So like, you know, I incorporate that stuff all the time into my presentations. Like, I don't go out there and dead drift streamers, but I strip them. And if I think that's a great spot, I'll pop that fly hard once and let it sit there right in that attack spot. Wiggle the tip of your rod just to get your fly to kick a little bit. And you see, start seeing them come out and you're like, yep, that's the deal. And the more you start doing that, that's why I like having those different sink tips is because now I'm not just stripping like crazy to keep the line off the bottom. You know, I can get it into a spot and like, let it hang, 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 hang. Just wiggle the rod tip too. I mean, some guys want to wiggle it like this. Like, dude, the way I'm tying those brush head, you know, Buford things, like if you just tap the rod and make the line move, that thing will just barely kick. Stay in the same spot, but just kind of kick. Number of fish I've seen just do it like that. You're like, yep, that's the ticket. So you're really feeding them, you know, and that's, yeah that's one of the things like with any of these fish there's always a time where they're just on suicide something moves they kill it man a lot of times you gotta feed them you know whether it's smallmouth muskies like you gotta do it right so like you get one engaged and all of a sudden he's like oh now it's food Boom, gonna grab it you know like i you just gotta convince them like you want to eat this. I'm going to show you why you want to eat it. And then boom, they'll eat it. Not just curiosity, come look, or suicide where they just fly out of nowhere and murder something. 90% of the time, they're not doing that suicide bite. Yeah. It's like you can get it in front of them, and now you got to make them eat it. So how are you going to do that? You know, with brown trout, it seems like you dead drift it over their head or rip it into the spot and kill it a little, and they'll come and grab it. So, you know, and that's, that's how you make the most out of your fishing too you know it's like if you're banking on and i used to do it like i'd bank on that suicide bite a lot where i'm getting it for a little bit of time here and a little bit of time there well all of a sudden you that works for an hour and a lot of my streamer fishing in michigan now is like dude i'll run that big bait for the first hour or so and if i'm moving fish fine but eventually you start seeing it turn off and slip off and i'm going small and natural right away and the number of days that I've made that switch quick enough. I've gone from two fish, hour lull, to landing nine in a day. You know, where it's like, yeah, your whole day was made based off the small natural fly. Take advantage of the window when they're eating the big bait, get off it as quick as you can and feed them. So that's when good. you're, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. That's just, it's just kind of the system and the program that I worked with. It's, man, we so. Tommy is like hardcore barrow. And then I have some dudes that are hardcore moon phase. Uh, where do you fall in the realm of kind of figuring out that bite? One, if I'm booking a year out in advance, you're always going to look at a moon phase. You know, that's just the way it is. You hope to get on, oh yeah, unless you're dealing with salt water because then your tides are all messed up. But if I'm looking at, at it, but typically what I see is it's the combination. I will say some of my best bites have been just weather dependent, but a lot of times you get the right weather around the moon phase, you see something special happen. Um, 
barometer is a tricky one to play because from what I've seen, it kind of changes throughout the year. Um, obviously, like every musky fisherman will talk about a wind shift, yeah. you know, being good here or there. Well, what a wind shift is, is a low pressure system moving and a high pressure system typically moving in when you go from a southwest wind to a northwest wind. Okay. So, yeah. And what happens in there is there's a flat spot in the barometer between the two drastic changes of falling and rising. So usually what I don't like is aggressive movements in the barometer regardless. A hard fall, I've seen it work. You know, a hard rise, eh, less. You know what I mean? But they'll bite on it on occasion. I, I like stability more, especially stability before a big change. You know, like, say you got, and that's, that's the nice, the nice sunny day bite. You know, it's like, oh, you got a nice day, nice day, and they're biting like crazy. All of a sudden, the wind starts howling, and you, you're not moving fish. It's like, yeah, because the barometer was stable. Now it's cratered. You know what I mean? Like, does yeah. that make sense to you? That's what I tend to see is like, if I can be out there for the stability before a major change, yeah, that can be good. Or like, yeah, I, I, I think I like, well, the other thing a lot of musky fishermen will talk about too is like, Man, you know, they, they bit really good and then the wind started blowing. Yeah, they should. Because when the wind blows, that means the barometer's moving now. You know, or they bit right when the wind laid down. Yeah, because the barometer finally stabilized. You know, and like those are common things you hear with musky fishing. I noticed it out trout fishing too. Like the other day, like we have got the worst possible conditions ever. And we kind of knew that going in, but me and my buddy went anyway. And, uh, client whatever um we had what we always see in low 40 degree water when it's high and dirty is like super short bite window like they're full they're not hungry metabolism slows can be so it's like it can usually be tough we had two fish going a 15 minute time span which is kind of typical this in these conditions and then uh then all of a sudden the wind started blowing like hell and da, 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 and we never saw another pitch. And it's like, yeah, pretty normal. You know, that's, it's like, yeah, last bit of a stability. Now the barometer is going all over the place. You know, so I probably lean more towards, you don't want long drawn out stability, but some stability right before or right after a change. That's kind of what I see. Incoming cloud bands, like it doesn't work as well on small trout streams, <clears throat> but on bigger rivers it will, where it's like, even the barometer is usually falling in this situation and it's sunny, 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 sunny. And then a straight band of clouds starts coming in and over your head. A lot of times they bite right before everybody thinks, oh, we'll get out there when it's overcast. Usually it happens before then. And that's just nature's way. And a lot of times I see that in a falling barometer. But get out there for when the clouds roll in. Once that solid band of clouds rolls in, it's usually over. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's what I've seen. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you on that. Um, I was, my biggest fish I ever caught was definitely like right on the, the front end of a pretty big storm cell. Yep. yep. And it was, I mean, it's, for me, it's, it's 
you know, like my best trout is 21 inches, not, not giant or anything, but it was right on the front of this, um, this really big, uh, front that was coming in. It was moving a lot of rain in, and just literally as soon as the rain started to fall is when I caught that fish. Yep. Right at the start of it. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I've seen that down there too, where it's like, it rains and rains and rains. It's usually good right when it starts. Then it kind of dies off. And then if the rain, like if it's pouring, 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 and then it backs off a little bit, they'll have a little window there. Downpour again, it'll suck. Little window here. Like, <laughs> the, those frontal days are, you know, you wake up one morning and it's overcast. You got on and off rain all day. Those are days you just have to go fish all day because you don't know when it's going to happen or what's going to, but it's, something should happen. Yeah. Um, you know, you get bright sunny days with warmer nights, like, you know it's going to be earlier one or the other you know what i mean like you can you start being able to pick that stuff up but there's just some days where you're like here we go we're gonna to have to grind our ass off but something should happen at some point <laughs> that's Dude, what so, yeah it is the nice thing about it is once you see the window you're like we saw it we were here for it now we can be done you know, you fish through it, and you start seeing it slip, and you, yep, we're out of here. Um, that's what makes some of my days really hard in Arkansas is because I, you know, I usually like to get the early hop on things because I want to see, you know, when it's quiet out there, sometimes they'll bite all right. Um, and then if they don't, you're like, okay, now we're waiting for a midday or a little later event. And hell, sometimes that later day starts at, bite starts at three and you're like well i'm not taking anybody out yeah I'm not pulling out when the fish start biting so it ends up being a long day but you know that's what keeps people coming back too yeah <laughs> you don't you're not on an eight to four schedule like you no. know your objective is to get them on the pitch if you work hard and you're out there long enough you're gonna find windows and then you take advantage of those windows and once they see that they're like oh okay you're gonna try it matters for you if we catch fish. So that's, and like, that's what I try to do. You know, I mean, that's what we try. And and a lot of the guys I take fish enough too. And I, I learned that about eight or 10 years ago when everybody started buying their own boats, it was like, well, what can I offer them that they can't do with their buddies? You know? Yeah. Because anybody can float them down the river for, so what can you do? Can you make sure you're in the right spot at the right time? Can you help them with fly selection? Can you do that? You know, like, yeah, there's a lot you can do. But, like, you know, you got to make yourself be worth it or else they'll go with the money. You know, and I think that that's where if you want to take people that know how to fish and can fish, you got to be able to teach them. You got to be able to try hard and fish them hard and not pull them out when the fish start fighting that's just part of the game you know so no i don't really have a problem with it you know it's fun i hate it when i'm out there and they're not all i'm trying to do is figure out how to get a bite yeah <laughs> so when they're biting it's like oh okay this is good but whatever you know it's i i think that that gets overlooked a little too you know it's it's like it's not a privilege just to hang out with you <laughs> you got to bring something to the table here yeah <laughs> so 
whatever that's how we try to operate and that's why i use the guides i use too is because like we're all kind of like that you know we're all kind of like no 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 let's get them let's we got to get them on some fish we got to do this like oh we might have to stay an extra hour or two you know like whatever doesn't matter we got to do it you don't even think about it that's just what it's going to be and i sit there and i bitch and i moan and i'm pissy and i'm like i'm tired i don't want to be here <laughs> i'm like but now they're biting and we can't leave and they're like yep <laughs> i'm like damn you <laughs> <laughs> but whatever and that's you know but it seems to work i mean i've got seven days open next year down there you know like i'm kind of hanging around that 90 percent, 85 percent retention rate so it's like yeah no you just keep doing it the way you do it it must be working so you just kind of stick with it you know and it makes it more fun too it's nice to go out there and whip them well alex dude uh we are we are past our hour and i want to respect your time dude this has been fucking awesome like dude anytime yeah 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 no i russ and i were texting back and forth i was out to dinner with my wife tonight and we're texting back and forth and i'm like He's like, oh, no, they're cool. It's going to be easy. I'm like, dude, of course it's easy. All you do is sit there and talk about fishing. <laughs> like, that's all I do anyway. Like, this is easy, man. <laughs> no, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. It was uh, definitely fun. Yeah. Dude, it was, it was awesome because, I don't know, man. Like, you, you hear your name come up, like, in, in random places, you know, like, they're like, oh, Streamer Love Fest this year. And they're like, oh, Alex Lafkus is going to be there. I was like, oh, fuck, dude. And I'm. But <laughs> <laughs> I hate going to all of that shit, man. I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go deal with this shit now. But, dude, like, it, it's been awesome talking to you and getting to know more about you and hopefully filling in some of these, you know, some of these blanks for some questions that people had. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, um, where can people follow you or book a trip? Instagram that I'm semi-active on. I'm always about two months, three months behind because God forbid you show anybody what's happening while it's happening. You know, I always figure the guys <laughs> that are showing people what's happening when it's happening is because they got no work. <laughs> you know, <if laughs> you can wait and show it after it's happened and, and worry about next year. Um, so Instagram is a L fly fishing. Um, I also have one at Traverse City Anglers that covers more of the gear fishing stuff because someone, some long where along the line started whining because they saw a picture of a fish. Like, you didn't catch it on a fly rod. And I'm like, oh god. So whatever. <laughs> um that's about it. I got the same stuff on Facebook, but like I said, I'm not <clears throat> not terribly active. Usually I'm about two months behind what actually happened and I'll probably keep it that way the rest of my life. <laughs> Hopefully. So, well, but no, yeah, dude. anytime, dude, anytime you get any questions or anything, just shoot me a note or whatever. But yeah, absolutely, dude. Well, everybody, go check out Alex's stuff on Instagram. Uh, if you can, book a trip with him. And everybody, just thanks so much for listening and all the continued support for the podcast it means a lot to us uh thanks for the ratings on apple and spotify and um thanks for checking out our sponsors and this episode was brought to us by cd fishing usa sheer cured knotty tackle anadromous fly company 
317 flies, Angry Rooster, Lid Rig, and Max Inflatables. So everybody just thanks so much for the continued support. Alex, thanks again so much for coming on. And uh, until next time, everybody eat your vegetables and we'll be seeing you.